hey, we want to just say thank you, all your prayers, uh, all those gifts. I mean, we received an offering and the blessing of what took place in Uganda we want to share with you this morning. If you're new with us, uh, this is what happened. Uh, six of us went to Uganda. We just came back this last Wednesday night. There's the team, myself and my wife, Tracy, 33 years married. Huh? Huh? Yeah. yeah. 33 years she has put up with me. I mean, what an amazing wife. Dan Kaufman and his daughter, Kelly, went on the trip. And then Kyle and Annie Wilson. Annie works with our children's ministry. Kyle works with the administration here at the church. So Dan Kaufman won, yes, that's right, the Crazy Face Picture Through Customs Award. So when you've done this as long as I have, you always got to come up with something fun when you do that part of the journey. So if you can beat that, send me your picture and I'll give you some coffee from Uganda, okay? Uh, this is our team. When we arrived in Uganda, three crosses, they welcomed us and everything. Now, why did we go to Uganda? Okay, we went to Uganda really to visit 34 church planters that we are beginning to support. And most of you know that we support hundreds of uh, indigenous church planters, evangelists all over the world, actually 16 countries now. And uh, this is a new country we're working with. I'll tell you that story in a little bit. $50 a month supports them, sends them into full-time gospel church planting ministry. So basically today, we just want to give you some highlights. I want to tell you this miraculous story of what God is doing in Uganda. So a little bit about Uganda just to begin with. I know it is a little hard to see this map. 54 countries in Africa. Uh, Uganda is located in the East Africa area, central right here. I know it's a little hard again for you to see. It's landlocked country, five African countries surround it. And uh, beautiful Lake Victoria uh, influences uh, Uganda. It's the world's second largest lake. And there's a picture of Lake Victoria from our hotel, just so you can kind of take in uh, well, what I would see each morning. And then the mornings. This Is this just beautiful? I don't know what your thoughts of Uganda are, but it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful country. Stunning sunrises. Uh, into the north, we went north, south, east, and west. We traveled all over the country. Uh, there's this place called Murchison Falls. And it's one of the locations of the headwaters to the Nile River. That Nile River literally goes all the way to Egypt. Uh, I mean, just it's massive, but just a beautiful, stunning, beautiful to behold. Um, Uganda is just uh, abundant in wildlife. It's been called the Pearl of Africa. Winston Churchill called it that. Uh, beautiful giraffes. Uh, we led that guy to Christ, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, and just majestic elephants, uh, disgruntled lions. This lion went away upset because I would not let him eat me. And so he's just like, oh man, you don't even want to play. You're no fun. Population in Uganda, 45 million. The, the capital is Kampala, 1.8 million. How many of you have been to Uganda? Anyone here? Several of you. A few of you have been to Uganda. Uh, but 4 million people will commute into the capital. You say, what is it like to drive in Uganda? What's it like? Well, this is a little picture. Give you a bit of a feel for a typical street in Kampala, again the capital. Uh, 
if you know anything about Uganda, it is, it, the history is just replete with endless problems, atrocities. It won its independence from Britain in 1962, but then crisis after crisis. Uh, most of us have heard of the brutal dictatorship of Idi Amin, war and just violence and mass killings and ethnic genocide and poverty, abduction of children, child soldiers, child sex trafficking, and there are two million orphans with AIDS in Uganda. It is uh, one of the poorest countries in the world because of all of these factors. Um, the average person in Uganda, in a year, they make $455. That's $1.50 a day. The average American makes 100 times more than that in a day. 1% of what uh, we make is what the average Ugandan makes working very hard. Uh, this, I don't ever exploit the poor, so I'm not going to show you those pictures, but this is how many eke out a living in the city. This is not even in the country. This is in the city. There is no middle class in Uganda. There's a rich class. There's a, a low class of uh, great need, no middle class. This is a typical kitchen for a Ugandan uh, individual family. Most Ugandans, they will eat just one meal per day, one meal. They do so at 10 p.m. at night just to be able to maximize their food and make it last the longest. Many Ugandans have never eaten a meal until they are full. They've just never. Uh, many refuse to believe there is such a thing as a buffet. We explain that to them, and they just literally can't believe that such a thing exists, that you can eat all you can eat. And they just don't believe it. They, they say, no, that restaurant would go, would go bankrupt. They can't believe that that would exist. Um, here's a typical Ugandan home <clears throat> in the country. Ugandan, there's great spiritual diversity. 3% uh, are of this tribal, uh, really demonic uh, focus, experience, uh, sorcery, witchcraft sacrificing goats, and it's, it's very uh, extreme. Uh, there are sectors of Uganda uh, that this, these are the sections that we are literally targeting in our church planting movement. 14% Muslim uh, and growing that number, that percentage of Muslim. Actually, since 1979, Muslims are literally seeking to take over the country of Uganda. They're buying up land, infiltrating business, move, moving into politics, uh, influencing every sector of society. They're planting mosques all over the country. Much of this is funded by Saudi Arabia. Uh, actually, in Uganda, for the last three years, every single day and every single night, uh, the Muslims are holding crusades where they're calling people into conversion uh, in the, the, the capital of Kampala. So I wanted you to just get a little sense of the spiritual atmosphere. Many claim to be Christians there, but it's four, 12, about 12% are evangelical Christian. But it is the fastest growing spiritual movement in the country. Uh, Jesus made this promise, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How is Jesus doing this in Uganda? How is he building his church? And, and I came away with just, this is incredible. And I want you to take impossible, multiply it by 100, 
and you have the church planting movement in Uganda. It should not be happening. And you will come to that conclusion, I pray, by the time I'm finished with our time. God always starts with his man and his woman. Meets Daniel and Erica Kagwa. Their story is incredible. One year ago, I received an email from a gal named Elaine. I'm not sure if Elaine is here this morning. She attends our church. She asked, would you be willing to meet with a pastor from Uganda? Any national I love meeting with. And I said, of course, I'd love to meet with them. So four months ago, we had coffee, Tracy and I, and him and his wife, Erica, in our coffee cafe four, and they began telling their story. And immediately, I, my heart was wed with this guy. Something supernatural of God is happening. And I fell in love with him, not only with his story, but everything he was talking about fits the criteria of partnerships that we partner with all over the world. And I said, we must go to Uganda. So let me tell you their story in brief. Daniel grew up on the streets of Kampala in Uganda as an orphan. The abuse is beyond uh, comprehension. In abject poverty, uh, there are times he would go literally weeks without food. It got so bad at age 12, he went to that school with a rope, and at 6 p.m., he was going to hang himself on the school mango tree when everyone else was gone. It turned 6 p.m., no one talked to him, he was kind of rejected, no one reached out to him, and he hoisted that rope over the tree, and all of a sudden Richard came out of nowhere, a classmate, and he said, what are you doing? And Daniel said, I'm going to hang myself. And Richard said, you need Jesus. Daniel had never heard of Jesus, really. And Richard there shared the gospel. And Daniel, right at the base of that mango tree, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And then Daniel looked up at Richard and said, now what am I going to do? And Richard said, I'm going to take you home. Richard took him home and introduced him to his father, told the story. And his father looked at Daniel and said, Daniel, this day you are my son. This day you are adopted into this family. Everything you see here is yours. This is your brother. This is your sister. For the first time in Daniel's life, he slept in a bed. For the first time, he had food and could go to a refrigerator. Daniel would say it was the greatest day of his life. That father began to teach him about Jesus and began to share with him, Daniel, God has a purpose for your life. He wants you to reach out to orphans. You've been an orphan. Unfortunately, three months later, that father died, had a massive heart attack. The family began to divvy out what's going to happen. And uh, all the kids were kind of taken to different relatives. And Daniel was then placed out on the streets again. But those three months laid a foundation for Daniel's life. Literally at 12 years old, he became a man. He got a job. He began paying for his own school, paying for rent. And God placed within him, even at that age, a passion for church planning, a passion for orphans. He would become a missionary. He would become a pastor. All of that started because someone reached out to him for those three months. Now, take that story and just hold it, and let me tell you about Erica at the same time. Erica grew up in an adjacent country called Rwanda. She grew up uh, into a happy family with a father and mother, two brothers, and one sister. 
When Erica was 12 years old in Rwanda on April 6, 1994, the president of Rwanda died. And the genocide began that very day, uh, which would lead to the brutal slaughtering of some one million Tutsis over the next four months. At 8 p.m. that night, Hutu rebels broke into Erica's home as they were at the dinner table. They demanded of the father money. After he provided it, they took a gun and literally blew him away at the dinner table, shot him in the head. The entire family began to scramble, terrorized. The two brothers ran outside and hopped over the fence. They were able to do that. No one ever saw them again. Within three months, they were killed. Erica's mother was lifting up the older sister just over the fence and got her over the fence when she was shot in the back, but not killed. She went to her knees. Erica ran into the bushes. The Hutu militia rebels came to her, and Erica saw the worst thing in her life. With tears in her eyes, she shared with me, Pastor Mark, this is like a back black box in my heart. When I begin to talk about this, I begin to cry. And she's tearing, and I'm saying, you only share with me what you feel you would like to. Erica is seeing this. She's absolutely terrorized. She can barely remember anything. She walked out after they were gone, her mother lying there in a heap, and she goes to the streets. A Hutu uh, neighbor saw her and said, Erica, come into my house. She came into her house. He said, you must go into this closet and not say a word because I'm, I'm giving you refuge. If they find me, they will kill me. She went and hid there. They came into the house. She heard that neighbor get hacked to death, literally listening to this. Then she would go out into the street, and into that street, they found her. Uh, she doesn't remember his name, but a big neighbor grabbed her and said, we're going to kill you. They put her into a Catholic church, a holding center for all these Tutsis. There were hundreds of them in there. They would bring them out one by one for execution, literally their heads being cut off. There were bodies, hundreds of bodies, literally in front of that Catholic church. It was her time to come out, a little 12-year-old girl. The man you know, swung the machete but missed her head, hit her right here where there's a scar, and then also sliced open her arm. She thought she was dead. She fell into the dead bodies. This is a demonic activity. She thought she was dead. She's bewildered. They just kept on you know, throwing bodies, executing. And, and then later that evening, she's coming to, staggering. She goes down the street, bewildered, realizing at 12 years old, they're trying to kill me. As she gets out in the street, they yell, there she is. They begin chasing her. And she goes to the only place she knows she could have refuge, which was in to the jungle where there were cheetahs that no one would enter because you'd be killed. She goes into there, and they stop chasing her. They yell, the cheetahs will get you. And as she goes in, she sees a cheetah. She falls down to her knees, and she says to her prayer, Oh God, if you are real, save me. If you are not real, let this cheetah eat me. I would rather be eaten by the cheetah than by machetes. That cheetah, as she's on her knees, came to her within five feet and knelt down. That cheetah would guard her for the next three days. They came back the next morning at 10 a.m., the best she can remember, coming in with their machetes, and that cheetah literally attacked them. They ran away. She remembers staying there. She said pus in the, 
And the stench of this wound was so terrible, blood all over her. She made it three days, and then she walked down the street ready to die. Another Hutu woman brought her into the house and said, you, Erica, you must go to this outhouse. I'm sorry, but you need to live there. I will give you shelter. But she stayed there several days, tried to clean the wound. But rebels found out, and also she heard that, that woman get hacked to death. Finally, she's at the point, she can't remember how many days, but she's like, I need, I, I cannot go on any longer. She heard soldiers marching, and she gets out of that whole walk, comes up to all the soldiers, and says, kill me, just kill me. And they said, we cannot kill you, because we are here to rescue you. We are here for your freedom. They brought her to an orphanage. And guess who's in the orphanage, who's on a missions trip, who checked her in? Daniel. Over the next eight years, Daniel will learn her language. He will fall in love with her, and she with him. They had so much in common. They will go back to Uganda, and they will begin a church planning ministry. Because Daniel's passion is planning churches. Because if there was a church, he said... I would never have thought about committing suicide, hanging myself. But there was no church, no hope. His vision is the church in every village in Uganda. And Daniel and Erica have also started an orphanage. So we went to Uganda to see all of this. And this is the journey I'm taking you on this morning. So we went on roads like this to various locations where there is no church. And uh, this is the type of journey, the roads, the individuals. Only 4% of Uganda uh, has paved roads. Uh, so we meet the first pastor. His name is Jeffrey. We go to uh, his uh, church. And all these other church planners show up. It was supposed to be just Jeffrey. But they're so excited that we're coming. They've never had visitors. That they all showed up. And we took this picture with them. And Jeffrey told us his story of how his church uh, was started. He said, this is the only church in this area, and it was very difficult to start. There are many witch doctors in this area, and they would slaughter 10 to 15 goats, and they'd put those goats all over the area, uh, trying to curse this church from even starting. And uh, one man, he tried to <clears throat> go to the authorities and stop this church from starting, and we prayed, and we fasted, and that man literally went in after a cow who fell into some sort of a, a hole, and he was killed and died in that hole. And the fear of God came over the whole city. And so our church was planted. <laughs> and he goes, this whole city is being transformed by the power of God. He says, behind me is still a witch doctor that lives literally in this house. But he said, Daniel, he, or this uh, Gregory said, but he's going to come to Jesus soon. Because there's no power in him. We went to Jeffrey's house. He took us to his home. This is their master bedroom. This is his wife, Joy. And he began to share with us, which was amazing, that he has just come out of prison. One year prior to this picture being taken, he went to Rwanda because his friend said, will you please come and preach? And he's at the, at, at the, at the border, Uganda authorities uh, said that he was a terrorist, and that he was going into Rwanda to do some terrorist work against the country, which had no basis. But they just... There's hatred against Christianity. He's a pastor. He's going to preach the gospel. So they threw him into prison. I said, they had no grounds. He goes, pastor, you don't understand Uganda. You don't need grounds. 
If you have power and hatred and money, there are many of my friends, pastors, who are in prison right now, languishing in these terrible prisons just because someone wants them there. There's no truth to it. And I go, what did you do? He looked at me, he goes, I preached the gospel. He goes, I was with the worst felons that you can imagine. These were terrible, demonic felons that had killed their entire family. Crazy people. He, he talked about standing in rooms hours upon hours. He began to share the love of Jesus, preach the gospel. He said, these men began to weep. He said, hundreds turned to Jesus. And I'm sitting here listening to this, and you look at how they live, and I turn to his wife, Joy, and I go, Joy, how can we pray for you? And, and she said, pray that people will come to Jesus. They're so focused on the kingdom of God in the midst of losing your husband for a year. And I, I'm just, I'm amazed at their lives. What blew us most away about Jeffrey is the sheer joy of this guy in the midst of what he's faced. Incredible. Well, we went to the orphanage. Daniel started this orphanage in a community that was so dark. Oh, wow. Uh, this village was filled with what they call night dancers. These are demon-possessed people who go out at nights, completely naked. They go up to dig up dead bodies, eat human flesh, drink blood, cast curses. They are fully demonized. And this community is filled with these people. And Daniel went there to preach the gospel. And he saw all these kids. And he said, we must start, plant a church here and start an orphanage. And so this is kind of the genesis of how this orphanage began. There are 201 kids in it now. And, and this is their food being served. And remember, you guys gave us, we took up offerings, you gave us gifts. We went with these gifts to give these away to these kids. And we played games with them. And uh, here, there's a little. Hey, followers, how you guys doing? Well, these are some of the kids that received all those gifts that you guys gave. This is incredible what's going on here. They're such wonderful kids. They love the Lord. They're awesome. And just wanted you to see this picture. <laughs> uh, this is them saying thank you to you guys. When you give to Three Crosses Missions, this is kind of what it does. It impacts people. We had a lot of fun with these dear kids. And here we are. We, we came there to meet with the pastor that planted this church. We walked by it. All these other church planters showed up just to be there. We're like, why are you guys here? We're here just to meet with Stephen. And they all showed up. No, no, we just want to be with you. I was like, oh, man, incredible people. So we traveled to the next church uh, in a different area. And this is Erica and our team going up into a three-story room. And you can see the church is on that last story. This is in a community 90% Muslim. Thousands of people, there's only one church, and it's this one. And you're looking out at what the community looks like. This is the inside of the church. And here's Pastor Abby. His story is incredible. So he says, this church was started, 90% Muslims. It's the only Christian church in the area. And actually, he said, it's the only non-Muslim-owned property in the entire city of thousands. To start the church, he said, we had 40 Christians that, uh, that began it, and we hosted this outdoor preaching rally. And, and as we, and just inviting the community, Muslims showed up by the hundreds, and they attacked us. They brutally beat all of us with clubs. 
They, they killed one of our men. They shot another woman, and they were screaming in a crazed manner, we don't want this church here. They kept on screaming it. The police, he said, did nothing. He said the only thing we could do was literally turn to God in prayer. The 38 of us who could went into the mountains, and we did a 40-day uh, prayer and fasting time, calling out to God. My wife was at home, he said. The radical Muslims were looking for me to kill me. I sent a, a message to my wife saying, Honey, if I am killed, it is for the glory of Jesus Christ church. At the end of those 40 days, Muslims showed up with hammers and spears. And as they gathered, they began to fight one another. Literally attack one another. God caused them to begin literally turning on one another. The police came in, arrested the radical leaders, and took them to jail. And he said, and so our church was started. <laughs> he said, now we have two, over 200 people showing up. Over 50 Muslims have turned to Jesus Christ. And he said, but they're all silent Christians. He said, a youth recently came to Christ and he told his family that he became a Christian, and his older brother said, run for your life because our family in this community is going to kill you tonight at 8 p.m. And he ran to Kampala. The community showed up. His family showed up. They burnt down his house at 8 p.m. He said, transformation is happening all over. But he said, as a pastor, I must choose my restaurants very wisely. I never go to the same restaurant twice because they will poison my food trying to kill me. He said, many times I've been arrested, uh, three times actually, and uh, he was taken to prison. And I said, what did you do there? He goes, I began to preach the gospel, and Muslims were coming to faith. And the guards came to me and said, you were arrested and brought here because of your shouting. That's what they called it. And he said, and now you're shouting in prison. And then he, they just beat him with rifle butts, he said, and clubs and fists. And he's just going, this guy. What a warrior for God. I said, Abby, what is the greatest thing that God has taught you? He said, Jesus fights for his church. No one wants us here, but we are here winning Muslims to Christ, and this community is being transformed. I said, Abby, what is your greatest need right now? And he said, our greatest need is our church, a physical church. He goes, we, we can't afford the rent. They're, they're raising the rent. And, and we are three months behind, and this church will be taken. And I said, well, what, what is your plan? And he said, we need to buy land. I said, do you have any land? He goes, yes, we bought a sliver of land, and it's adjacent to another piece of land, but we can't afford it. I go, let's go take a trip there. So we went out there, and this is the piece of land. There's Abby. It's like about an acre and a half, and he's showing me this with great joy, walking all over, you know, and, and just with vision. And I said, Abby, how much would this land cost? And he said, it's $1,300. Someone in this very room gave me $1,000 to invest however they felt it would be best. You guys received an offering here, the other $300. So you know what we did? We found two pieces of wood. We threw those pieces of wood down on the ground in the form of a cross. We laid the $1,300 upon it, and we dedicated that land to the glory of God for the church, the only church in this entire area, a physical church on a piece of property. And Abby was going, this is going to give us credibility. More people will come to Christ. More churches will be planted. He was so excited. This is everyone just kind of celebrating the moment. 
And I think Dan Kaufman, you're going to come up and say something right now, I think, uh, about this. Dan, uh, man, what an amazing, awesome job he did. Give it up for Dan Kaufman. Got it? Say something, Mark. There we go. Nope. It's on. Yep. Okay. Talk right here. <laughs> wait, wait. You got it? No? No, no, no. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. Just talk. You can hear him, right? Bring another one. Talk loud. Here you go. Talk. 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 Right in there. We got testing, it. testing. No, no, just, just cool like that. Cool like that. Here we go. Oh, is this thing on? Yeah. Um, maybe there's another microphone coming. Sorry for the delay. <laughs> Sorry. Hello, hello. This one's on. When we were coming home from Uganda, we're, we had several stops to make. And so we flew into Amsterdam. We're stopping in Amsterdam. And then our next flight was to Salt Lake City. And that was delayed. Uh oh. And I know we already had a tight connection in Salt Lake City. So we leave Amsterdam. We had like an hour and a half in Salt Lake City, in Amsterdam, in Salt Lake City. And then we had to wait in Amsterdam. And so we get to Salt Lake City. And we're, we've got like a half hour to make the, the next plane which is tight, and we had to go through customs. So that means you're standing there for a long time. So I'm telling the lady behind me in customs, uh, I said, you know, we gotta catch another flight right away or something. She's, and she was very encouraging. She said, you're never gonna make it. <laughs> and, but so, as it turns out, we made it. And then, as, as I got on the plane from Salt Lake City to head home, I think, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, God, for helping us. Ugh, sorry, I'm kind of ashamed of that. Uh, when we were in Uganda, going back there, uh, we had another drive one day, and we were going to catch a ferry to go across the Nile, actually. Kind of cool. But we had to be there by 12 o'clock. That's when the little ferry goes. And I'm looking kind of at the time, and I'm going, we're never going to make it. So we, we go there, and we ended up getting to the ferry at like 5 to 12. We drive right on the ferry. The ferry takes off. We go across the Nile. And I think, oh, we made it. We made it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Thank you, God. Then later on that day, we got to come back across the Nile on that ferry, and that ferry sails at 6, and we got to make it, because the ferries come like every, I don't know, every day or something. But so we, we don't want to miss the ferry, and so we're, we're driving and driving and going, oh, no, we're never going to make it, we're never going to make it. We get back, we make it to the ferry, and guess when we got there? It's like 5 to 6, and I think, oh, oh, we made it. But the ferry's already full. It holds four cars, and it was full, so we, we kind of missed it. Uh, then we, uh, then we're, we're kind of hanging out there. It was a beautiful evening. We're kind of hanging out there. And then uh, you look at the Nile, and a hippo comes out of the Nile, walks out of the Nile, and starts walking up the road. Mark wanted to go ride it. <laughs> Not a good idea. But this hippo, he's walking down the road. He looks at us, and then he looks on, and he goes on up the road. And I said, oh, thank you, God. I, maybe I should have prayed before that. And then I'm thinking back in Uganda, People in Uganda, it's their first inclination is to pray. When something's going on, they think, we need to talk to God. We need to go to the hills for 40 days and talk to God and fast and pray. We need to pray first. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's a good idea. I have these little minor upsets in my life, and I get all panicky. And I think, I need to pray first. Like, these are like Pastor Abby. Uh, Pastor Abby had this, this building he was renting for a church. And then he wanted to get, an, they raised his rent. You know, you heard the story. There's no way he could have bought 
that land. There's just no way. It was, it was impossible. That's like three years' wages for him, 100%. He, he never could have bought that. But he, he prayed. His whole group of people prayed, and God provided through you. So Three Crosses goes there and gives him money to buy his land, and he, that's where he can start his building now. And his, his first inclination was to think, thank you, God, for providing that. And he said, thank you, Three Crosses Church. Well, Three Crosses Church is nothing. Three Crosses Church is you. You people gave that money. So that was an answer to Abby's prayer because of, what, because of your giving to missions and your giving to these people. You're answering their prayers, and you're hearing about the great work they're doing over there. It's, uh, it's, I just, my lesson was I need to pray first. Awesome. Okay. Now I'm off. Okay. Here we go. Robert, there we go. So meet Betty. Uh, here's a gal. We, she's a church planner. And so we visit her. Her life uh, was caught up in spiritism. She was an idol worshiper. A church planner comes. She comes to Christ. And she is just planting churches everywhere. And uh, the thing that most impacted me about Betty she said, everyone in my family, no one knew Jesus, but she said, this is what I did. Every night I would wake up at 12 p.m. midnight, pray for my family, and now everyone is saved. It was awesome. I said, what's your greatest need? And she said, I have to walk two hours every day to get where I'm planning a church now. One way and one the other way back. She goes, I need a motorcycle. I was like, man, we're going to pray for that. This is her family. This is Abby. I said, Abby, can you share a little uh, greeting to everyone? Here she is. I feel to fulfill the greatest command, commission of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, verses from 18 to 19. And uh, I thank brothers and sisters who are willing to support me to evangelize in this nation. Thank you. Oh, that's who we uh, support when you support a missionary, someone like Betty. This is Pastor Fred. We showed up at his church thinking he was just going to be there. Guess what? He brought a bunch of other church planters. We show up, we go, are you kidding me? They just wanted to be with us. And so he gets up, he is all fired up, he testifies, we just started this church six months ago. And then he says, it was a forest, we cleared the whole forest, it was in jungle, and now look what God has done. And then he said, and then we asked God for food, and look at that garden, he's pointing to the garden. And then he said, we prayed for a toilet, and he paused. He said, this entire village has never had a toilet, we're the first church that's had a toilet, praise the Lord. And they're going like ballistic, you know, over a toilet, it was awesome. And then he goes, and then I prayed that God would bring people from America, and here you are. Was that like the greatest introduction or what? I was like, I'm ready to preach, you know. And before we got up and shared, they were like, no, we want to worship first. This is called African worship, baby. Man, if you're not, <laughs> it was awesome. 
Oh, uh, we went to Pastor uh, Daniel and Erica's home. Remember the floods hit them. That is the water line to their home. It destroyed everything in the home. We took up an offering, you guys. Oh, my. It provided them seven mattresses for them and their kids. It provided for them all their new cookware uh, and uh, a refrigerator. That's all you really need. And this is them saying thank you. I know it's a little hard to hear this. The lighting was bad. There is no light. But this will hopefully. Hey, brothers and sisters in the Lord, we just want to thank you. I'm Pastor Daniel Kagwa, plus my wife, Erika Kagwa. We are here to say thank you for the contributions that you have done towards our home. As you see that uh, we got floods, but you supported us by buying the refrigerator, the chicken wire, and, and the mattresses, and all so many other things that you have been able to support us with. Thank you so much. May the Lord surely bless you. What you have done means a lot to us. And this is the reason why we are here to say thank you so much, because it meant a lot to us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for helping our family. Thank you for helping our children and the Board of Christ in Uganda. Bye-bye. Merci beaucoup. You know, it's really difficult to describe how these pastors choose to live in Uganda, really, for the gospel. Uh, for example, Pastor Daniel, in 13 years, has refused receiving a paycheck from his church. Why? Because their conviction is, how can I build my house when the house of God needs to be built in Uganda? How can I build my home when there are hundreds of villages that have no church in Uganda? They're pa you say, how does he live, Pastor Mark? He lives by prayer, fasting, and the next gift God provides. They go sometimes days without food. This is how they live to advance the gospel. And to be around these kind of Christians is just so unbelievably convicting, but also inspiring. Because having nothing, they possess everything. He says, whether we have or don't have, we praise the Lord. And they praise the Lord. Believe me, they do. This is the first church that Pastor Daniel and Eric had planted. It's the mothership for the movement of church planning and the orphan ministry. Daniel and Eric, who started this church 13 years ago, they went to the government officials. There were five mosques in the area, but no church. And they went to the officials and said, we would like to start a church in this area. Can I please have permission? And the government official said to him, a Christian church will do this community no good. Get out of here. Denied. What do you do? You pray and you fast. Are you facing an impossible situation? Are you praying and fasting? This is what they do. All of them do. And miracles happen. He prayed and fasted, and he went back to that government official, and he said this. Looked at him, he said, God told me to plant a church in this area, and it will do good for this community. The official said, okay. <laughs> Daniel walked out with the permit, and then he realized he had no money. He, he said he had two pennies. And then what do you do? You pray and you fast. Tracy's going to come up and maybe take it from there, the next part of the story. Robert, 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 Robert. Thank you, Robert. Is it ready? Hey, there it is. All right. So we're listening to this story. And uh, Erica and Daniel at the time, just a humble abode that they live in. And 
she says, let's sell it all. Let's sell it all. Let's sell it all. They're all selling it all is $75. I mean, they sold beds, tables, chairs, everything in their household comes up to $75. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, in our abundance, it's easy to give. It's easy to give. We're not giving that kind of sacrificially. And out of their little, they gave everything. And it just reminds me of this verse. It says, give, and it'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. And look, she gave, they gave sacrificially. And this is what now has taken place. 13 years later, this church. Amen. Amen. They, uh, they needed $75 to actually get a loan to start the church and buy the property and all that. And so they just sold everything. Sell it all, honey. And then it all started. Um, Wednesday through Sunday, when we go on these trips, what do we do? We visit church planters. We literally go in the field. It is 14, 16, 18-hour days. We don't stop. We go, go, go. And so uh, Wednesday through Saturday, we're just visiting, 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 north, south, east, west, all over Uganda. And then everything is building to a celebration service on Sunday in Daniel's church, and there you have a picture of the inside of this church. And so watch this. All 34 of Daniel's church planners and their wives traveled all the way to the mother church. For some of them, it took them 12 hours riding in a bus to be a part of this celebration. I asked Daniel, I go, how many of you think will make it? All 34 of them made it. Many of them showed up just because they couldn't believe that we were actually there. They've never had any support ever in the history of their church ever and for they they couldn't even conceive that someone from America would come and just like bless them and come there to learn about them and sit down in their homes and pray for them that was inconceivable that's why all those church planners showed up at all those homes I said Daniel I don't want to have meetings I just want to meet your people he's like he was trying to understand what we're all about I'm all, we're about the movement of God and what God's doing through you. That is a, a mind blower to them. Everyone said, this has never happened before. And so when it was time for me to preach, it wasn't difficult. I preached on Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. They've lived in the wilderness, in the wasteland. Our God is a God who does new things. We preached on that. We talked about this new partnership that God is beginning. We told the story of Daniel and me and meeting and all this stuff and just what God's doing right now. And I shared, we're not here to tell you how to plant churches. You are doing the work. We're here to encourage you. And guess what? They couldn't believe that you are here back home praying for them. It was just a mind blower that the body of Christ is coming together to extend the Great Commission. It was beautiful. And so all of the 34 pastors and their wives, we brought them 300 pounds of gifts. We brought them each a backpack filled with socks and medicine and shirts and blouses and toothbrushes and notebooks and everything. And they said this, this is like Christmas in July. (laughs) 
they've never had anything like this. And we're just blessing them. And then C's candies, man. They went crazy on C's candies. And then guess what? It is all building up to, watch this, a motorcycle that we're going to give away. Two days before I left for Uganda, a gal in this ministry met me in the parking lot. She came to the parking lot. She goes, Mark, God has put it on my heart to give a motorcycle to a church planter in Uganda. I said, wow. She goes, how much is that? I go, it's $2,000. Wrote out the check. I said, I'll bring it. So we show this to Daniel. He can't believe it. And so <laughs> at the end of the church service, after I'm done through preaching, they drove this motorcycle through the front door of the church right in front of the pulpit as this song is being sung. And then Pastor Daniel invites all the church planters to stand behind that motorcycle. Who of the 34 church planters will receive this motorcycle from God? What is it like to give a motorcycle to a Ugandan church planter? Just watch. That is like winning the gold medal at the Olympics, you know? That is Pastor Abby. Called of God, left a comfortable church to go to 90% Muslim community, be beat, lay his life down, maybe be killed, and now he's going to be able to travel all over Uganda planting churches. That's the joy. That gift of a motorcycle, they could never, they walk everywhere. That's four years of salary, maybe five. And Uganda pastors don't even make what the average one makes. Incredible. Uh, he was the winner, Pastor Abby. There was so much joy. There was so much dancing. Even our team got into dancing, but it's so ugly. I wouldn't want to show that to you. <laughs> what was amazing is, you know, here's Pastor Jeffrey, the joker, you know. Did you see him? He was, there was no jealousy. There was all total rejoicing in Abby, and everyone said, Abby is so deserving of it all. 
uh, Pastor Daniel said, this is like heaven kissing earth. Wow, what a phrase. He also said, this is a day everyone will talk about until Jesus returns. I mean, we're driving all, he's getting texts from all of his pastors saying it's the greatest Sunday service they've ever had in the history of Uganda. That moment of God's grace that comes to us undeserved, God's love on his people that just serve him so faithfully. This is Pastor Daniel and the church planner saying a thank you to you. <laughs> on behalf of all church planters here in Uganda, we just want to say that thank you so much, dear brothers and sisters, for supporting this ministry, for supporting this work of God. You have sent us to be able to go and fetch as many people, as many souls as possible. Your support is sending us out to be able to do more for the Lord. May the Lord surely bless you so much. We are so thankful for that. God bless you. Oh, man. We need to be praying for them. Oh, I got to show you this. This is Pastor Abby and the church planters dancing in praise of God for his goodness. Listen to this song that they're singing. At the end, they're going to sing in English. Listen to the words because there's a message for all of us I want us to hear. When the Lord reigns, everything is okay. Did you get that? When the Lord is on the throne, things already better. Things already better. When the Lord is on the throne, things are already, are already better. Already better. That's awesome. Is the Lord on the throne in your life? It, God does new things, but sometimes his timing is different than ours. Whether you have or you don't, things already better because the Lord is on the throne. Is the Lord on the throne in your life as you see this? Maybe God has brought you here so that in fact, truly, he is there in the center of your life. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's on the throne. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. I don't know how to tell you how much I love you guys. I love this ministry of followers. I love your heart for the gospel. We're in it together. We have such an amazing church that is reaching the world for Christ, empowering God's servants. These are your brothers and sisters. You're going to spend eternity with them. One day, God's going to sew it all together, and they're going to walk up to you and give you a hug and just thank you for God has blessed the United States, and we can be a blessing to a country like Uganda. It's amazing. It really is incredible. You know, uh, 
as we left with tears in our eyes, because we totally bonded, I come to the airport and I see this sign, new beginnings, here I come. God came. God comes to us. New beginnings is what God does. Maybe you're here this morning and they're just like, you're crying out to God. You're not in Uganda, but there's other things going on in your life. I want to give you this word. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Satan wants you to dwell on the past. He wants you to think about the former things and just be there. God says, no, no, no. See, I am doing a new thing. God is the God that does new things. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? That's the issue. Will we see where God is at work wanting to do a new thing in our own lives? I am making. He doesn't say I made. He's like, I am making now a way in the wilderness. Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness. Maybe you feel like you're in a wasteland. Some of you have been with me to Israel. This is what is being pictured, that wilderness, not a blade of grass. God says, I'm making a new way. I'm the God who does new things. Look what he did in Uganda. You just saw a miracle before your very eyes. That's the God, your God, that loves you so much as well. When the Lord is on the throne, things are already better. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you, O oh God, for who you are. This is your great commission, and it's beautiful to enter into it as a church and be about it and know that we have a God who does new things. You're on the throne in our lives, and we just rejoice whether we have much or little. We rejoice in you and who you are, and we thank you for your amazing love and grace in our lives. Lord, we praise you for Uganda, our brothers and sisters there. Many of us will probably never meet them until heaven, but we lift them up to you as they are lifting us up to you as well this morning. We are one family. When the Lord is on the throne, things already beta. Have you brought us here this morning, Lord, to remind us about the critical importance of you always being on the throne? And whatever that looks like for you, would you just talk to God this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I invite you back on the throne. You are on the throne. But my eyes, my heart, I need to place you there in my heart and mind and soul and being. So whether I have much or little, I can rejoice, trusting you. You just pray to the Lord, whatever he's put on your heart this morning. Lord, I think I'll, I'll never forget that song. I love that song. When you, Jesus, on the throne, things already better. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your people today. Bless Uganda. Thank you for this special time. All God's people said? Amen. Amen.